We're in our third week of our Spotlight series where we're spotlighting a particular value or belief here at Hope. We're explaining why it is that we believe some of what we believe last week. We spotlighted um, why here at Hope, uh, Scripture is what determines what we do, what we teach, what we believe, and what we aspire to live out. Um, So what we talk about, what we embrace, um, comes from Scripture. It doesn't come from Uh, copying the positions of a particular political candidate or a politician Uh, does not come from social media influencers. It doesn't come from the latest trends or hot topics in society. What we do as a church, um, we try to base all of it on scripture. That's our guide. Um, Contrary to what some people sometimes get upset and say, we are not trying to be progressive or conservative. We want to be biblical, um, which brings us Uh, to this week's spotlight, okay, then what about women in church leadership? Because some people will say, okay, all right, yeah, Doug, you say the Bible is the foundation for everything that we teach and embrace here at Hope, but are you ignoring parts of the Bible when you have women preach or lead or pastor or teach or be elders? And that's what I want to talk about today. Now, I'm just going to give you fair warning, especially if you're newer with us. Today's going to be a little different. I'm going to ask you to put on your thinking caps. It's going to be more of a study today. Um... So, okay, can you put on your thinking caps? Oh, okay. oh man, we're in trouble already. Okay. Um, now, for those of you that you know your Bible a little bit, at least, um, you know that there are some verses that people can use or try to use and say, ah, oh, those verses right there just says that women can't be pastors, women can't lead or teach or be elders. But here's what I want you to keep in mind as we go through this talk today. If the Bible seems to contradict itself, then there must be more to the story, which is why we then stop and study and look at context and, and, and dig deeper into what scripture says because we care about what scripture says. Now, I'm also aware that there's a group of folks in the room every week. There's people that are new to church or, or newer to hope, and, and to them, um, it might sound a little ridiculous that we're even bothering to talk about this, like, <laughs> what the heck, like, is this still a thing in in churches, and I get it, and I wish that you were right, that it would be rare, but it's not rare, and I really want to try to honor other churches. I try to do that um, frequently, but I'm just going to say this. It's not as rare as some people would think. Uh, In fact, most of the Larger, even more popular churches nearby, uh, many of the you know, non-denominational type churches, um, a lot of them do not allow women to preach or to be called as elders or pastors unless they're you know, pastor of women or pastor of children. Um, so it's actually sadly a little more common than some people might think, and it's a little bummer because sometimes I've heard stories where people get really involved or even are on staff at a church before they realize, oh, I have a limit on what is allowed for me to do no matter how I'm gifted or called because I'm a woman, and it can be very disillusioning. Um, And if you are someone who's come from a church that believes that women are restricted because of their gender, maybe you've been taught that, um, what I'm going to do is just ask you this morning to consider a different point of view Although a very wise woman earlier this week pointed out to me that, uh, Doug, you're not supposed to try to convince that crowd. That's not your job today. And she even pointed out, like, here's how brain science works. Um, People who are entrenched in a viewpoint about whatever, um, their mind will chemically react like it's being attacked, even if it's not. 
when new information comes in to maybe disturb what somebody has held for a long time. So I acknowledge the reality that the possibility that, you know, that somebody's going to change their mind, no matter how clear a case um, that I put in front of us today, it's, I acknowledge it's pretty slim, and so that's not my aim today. But I do want to pray that the Holy Spirit comes, does whatever Holy Spirit wants to do, um, and that can only happen when we open our hearts because the Holy Spirit doesn't force us to do anything. So let's just briefly pray, Holy Spirit, come. We welcome you. Will you be our teacher, our counselor, um, our guide this morning, that whatever words I use, whether they are... um, confusing to some or troubling to others, that what we would walk away with this morning um, is just what you have for us, no matter what that is. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Amen? Amen. Now, I got to tell you, I'm, I, am a, I am a Bible nerd, admittedly here. I've done tons of study on this over the years. I have over, I don't know, hundred, maybe hundreds of pages of teaching and and combined a bunch of research papers, probably hundreds of pages of research papers that I've written over the years, what I want to do is try to honor our time today. So um, I cut a lot of the in-depth exposition of some of the verses, particularly the one we're going to focus on today. Um, So here's what we're going to do, because some of us like that in-depth Bible study and we want to know what these verses actually mean that we're going to look at later. Um, So rather than brush over them like we'll do today, I'm going to do a bonus video And my goal is to have that out tomorrow, and we'll put it on our YouTube page. And so if you want that bonus content that's really going to delve into that, uh, we'll send that out in our weekly email, so you can link to that there or find it on our Facebook page. Um, So today, rather than getting all into the weeds, I want to go kind of at a 30-foot, 30,000-foot level view. And I hope what it does is it helps us see... Um, how it is that, that we have come to believe that, that women and men, both women and men, work together in the ministry of bringing the good news of Jesus. Um, also, before we really get into it, I have to thank so many um, ladies that have helped me this week, especially because I wanted their points of view on this, and wow, so helpful. My wife, Heidi, um, uh, Liz, who you'll hear from uh, soon, um, Liz uh, had some great stuff, uh, Jamie Levi, who's preached here, Nisa Moak, who's preached here in the past, uh, Pastor Tara Smith over at Crossroads, um, a friend of mine in New York City, Amanda Sadlier, she also, just all of them had such helpful stuff, it was really good, so I have to just say, um, some of the content, much of the content was even reshaped by, by their advice and wisdom. So, um, now, one of the reasons that I knew that we needed to talk about this is that even though here at Hope, um, I don't think it's like a big, huge issue for us, I'm, I'm aware that sadly, there's a lot of churches who, maybe the staff or the pastors, assume that because this is our denominational opinion or position, that the people in the church just kind of go, oh yeah, that's, that's our thing, and, and that it's easier for women. But I was at a week-long seminary class, which uh, it was a preaching intensive, and, and half of the stu- at least half of the students were female in this a seminary class. They were working at other churches. And some of them um, I sat with and listened as they told me about these different reactions that they've seen at their own churches and some of their friends' churches when a woman, sometimes they themselves, had an opportunity to preach and afterwards experienced kind of rude and condescending treatment from 
people who I guess would claim to be, you know, Bible-loving Christians um, in their own congregation. Uh, one of them told me that, that after her message, she was kind of by the back door and people were leaving. And um, one of the longtime members of the church said essentially, uh, well, I guess since all the men pastors were busy, I guess that's why you had to speak this week. Um, and she was a good preacher. I listened to her preach. Um, heard other stories and I've heard this sadly happen like all over the place where a woman gets up to preach and um, some men in the congregation will just turn their back during the sermon, uh, even in like pew settings. Um, other times where men and women sometimes get up and just storm out because of a woman preacher, which just, first of all, just kind of baffles me because this is a Christian acting like, an, like a, um, um, a jerk uh, in the church. I had to find the right word that I could say in church. Um, and then justifying like, that behavior, thinking, well, it's okay for me to act that way because you know, of what I believe the Bible says, so that excuses unchristian behavior, which is just bizarre. Just bizarre. And so, by the way, um, um, when, when Liz preaches here sometime, or Heidi, if any of you turn your back on them or walk out, like, you'll have to deal with me, with Sam. Actually, Liz will probably just, whoop, whoop, yeah, maybe? No, I don't know. But just, yeah, no. I, I, I do have to say here at Hope, I'm so glad that we don't have those kinds of, of arguments. But I do want us to walk away from this going, oh, that's why we believe here at Hope what we believe about it based on Scripture, which is why we're taking the time that we take um, and again, this message is, there's very little funny, there's very little stories, it's a lot of heavy teaching, it's very different probably than some of our normal Sunday morning messages. Um, but that kind of disdain that, that women still experience in churches, that's nothing new for women. Sadly, um, you go all the way back in history um, to when Jesus shows up uh, in the first century world, it was a very harsh place for women. Women back then were seen as second-class citizens, no rights, no respect, no voice. They were essentially the property of men. Also, they were not allowed to do things like testify in court because everyone believed the conventional wisdom was that everybody knows that women are weak-minded and gossips who cannot be trusted. Everybody knows that. Um, and that was actually official policy. So back then, first century Judaism Sounds similar to what we probably have in Afghanistan under the Taliban. Uh, Jewish women were forbidden to speak to men in public, were required to veil their faces whenever they left their homes. And so it was very difficult to be a woman in first century Judaism. And while some of the rabbis back then did push for better treatment of women, most did not, there was actually a prayer that's found in several different sources in the ancient world that every morning some Jewish males would pray. When they woke up, they'd pray this prayer. We'll put it on the screen. Don't read it out loud, right? Don't pray this. You can, uh, Blessed art thou, O God, who did not make me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. That's the morning prayer, a real prayer that would commonly get prayed. This is the plight of women in that day. But then, <laughs> Jesus came, and his posture towards women would have been seen as radical. 
Like we don't have time to list all the examples, but, but imagine reading the stories of the gospels for the first time back in that day, reading, reading, whoa, Jesus was treating women as if Genesis 1 was true and that God actually did create both male and female in the image of God. Wow, people would have been stunned. And if you were reading in that day with that point of view from the culture, you would read along these stories in the gospel and notice how women were highlighted, were actually praised by Jesus. This was so unusual. You'd be stunned back in that day in that culture by by his honor, by his treatment of women as partners in ministry that he accepted them to travel with his group to follow him and be counted as his disciples. I mean, no other rabbi was a calling or allowing female disciples. This was unheard of. This actually got Jesus in all kinds of hot water with, with, uh, with the religious elites who thought that they were more holy because of their anti-women stances. Um, uh, we, we watched an episode of The Chosen on Tuesday night, just last week or the week before, that I thought just drew a great picture of what it was probably like. Um, see, there were these Pharisees that were coming up with a list of accusations against Jesus and, and the kind of head guy was just almost foaming at the mouth with all the accusations because he really wanted to nail Jesus. And I mean, things like, oh, he healed somebody on the Sabbath. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. And he let a woman touch his, his feet. Oh, man. Oh. And then uh, got, he got very excited. Oh, oh, oh. And, and he has women that travel with his group of disciples. This guy was foaming at the mouth like, oh, we've got him. We've got him. Because again, in that day, in that culture, what Jesus did by interacting closely with women was revolutionary. We've talked about this um, before, but, but think of at the end of Jesus' time here on earth, he dies, but then when he rises from the dead, this is so stunningly clear and beautiful. It's amazing that God arranged for women to be the first witnesses of the greatest event ever. Like women who, remember, weren't even trusted as witnesses in in that culture. It's it's like Jesus is saying, oh my goodness, that is nonsense. Let's flip that lie on its head once and for all and make them a key part of the greatest story ever told. And they were the witnesses, the first witnesses to his resurrection. You know, Heidi reminded me... um, that, that we try to thread these things through many of our sermons and around here, that, that Jesus was for women. Jesus was the one, actually, in history that pointed the way towards honor and empowerment and freedom for women. Now, I, I know some people might hear, like, so far what I'm saying this morning and say, okay, fine, great, Jesus upgraded the status of women, but where do you get that they're allowed to preach and teach and lead? Well, actually, there's examples we could pull out of the Gospels, for sure. But I think it gets even more clear if you're the person back then and you're reading the story and you keep reading the story after the Gospels and and you get to the book of Acts and you see more and more examples of women being highlighted and included and praised and encouraged in their ministry leadership roles in the founding of the early church. 
uh, beginning of the book of Acts, where it tells us the founding of the church, how the church was born. Chapter 1, verse 14 says, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Just even that sentence right there is the author of the book. Dr. Luke wants us to know that women, as well as men, are part of this group that are waiting together for the Holy Spirit to show up and remember, this is countercultural because they're supposed to be separate, separate. And then in chapter two, the Holy Spirit does show up at Pentecost, and Peter gets up to speak and explain what's going on. And I find it fascinating that out of all the scriptures Peter could reference, he picks a reference from the, what we call the Old Testament, the prophet Joel, where Joel says what's on the screen here uh, and the part of it here, that God would pour out his spirit on all people, men and women, men and women, and that it would result in a ministry that would include both male and female without regard to gender. And that would be the signature of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Which isn't surprising because when we understand just how divided men and women were back in that culture, we know that this idea that men and women ministering together could only happen, it could only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. There was no other power that could break down the barriers in that culture other than the power of the Holy Spirit. Now... As you continue reading the stories, the, the early church, they still fought these kind of cultural barriers and probably some of their own you know, upbringing ideas. But the fact that it's happening at all, that men and women are, are being named, and, and the fact here that Dr. Luke in the book of Acts and, the, and later the apostle Paul, the fact that they mentioned female names in their writings was a huge deal. Like, sometimes we wonder, like, what are all these names that are included, right? But listen, listen, the Bible doesn't just include names as an afterthought. This is intentional, and, and there's something for us to notice about it. And, and actually, something I learned um, this week that I had not heard before uh, from Pastor Tara, uh, she pointed this out. She said, did you know that more than a quarter of the church leaders that Paul names by name in his letters are women? I did not know that, more than a quarter of them. Again, how countercultural is it that Paul loves to talk about women in ministry? He commissions and commends women as prophets and apostles and church workers and evangelists and co-workers and co-pastors and leaders of house churches and deacons. And readers of the story back in that day would have been dumbfounded. They would have been surprised at this countercultural significance that women are given by the early church and by the apostle Paul. Just real quick, we'll look at just three of those names, just three of the names that he mentions. And the first one uh, is Priscilla. Priscilla in Acts 18, we meet her. It says, then Paul left the believers, sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and her husband Aquila. And by the way, um, the order of names in Greek literature was very significant. The person who is named first is seen as the most influential or the more influential of the two. And in that day, husbands were virtually always mentioned first because they had higher status. 
Now, I don't know if that's why we do that today, if it's a different cultural reason, but they had a very specific intention. I actually like that when I'm around like refugee and relief and development type of people from Phoenix, I'm known as Heidi's husband. I like that. It's kind of nice to like, oh, that's, you know, I am known as her kind of sidekick in those circles. Um, but, but back then it was about status, whoever you mentioned first, more honor or esteem. Um, another example here just for a second. Um, If you read the book of Acts, you'll see at first, Barnabas and Paul were mentioned. But then as Paul gains significance, you see it flipped. And then it's Paul and Barnabas, right? Paul and Silas, right? Paul and um, Timothy. It's all the way through. It's the name that's mentioned first. That's just how it works. And here we have Priscilla, the wife, and Aquila, her husband. And as that story continues in Acts 18, we meet this guy named Apollos. He's a brilliant teacher. It says he's well-versed in scripture, but he doesn't know the details about Jesus. And so we'll pick it up in verse 26. And notice here again, her name is first. When Priscilla, it says, when Priscilla and Aquila heard Apollos, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately, more adequately. I mean, so even though it's said in verse 25 that he's well-versed in scripture, he is receiving authoritative instruction from a woman, which is, again, very countercultural. By the way, there's nothing in the text to suggest that Priscilla, well, she got to do that because she was doing it under the authority of her husband. Actually, because of the order of the names, it suggests that maybe her husband was doing it under her leadership. And so this was a high honor for women in those days. And it was one way that they made sure to mention this in the book of Acts for a reason. That's one character. Um, Priscilla, we also have uh, another impressive woman in ministry in Romans 16 named Phoebe. Paul writes this in Romans 16. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon or a minister, you can translate it either way, of the church in Senkria. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she's been helpful to me and, and to many and especially to me. Now, Phoebe here. Most scholars agree that Phoebe was the one that was carrying the letter that we call the book of Romans. She was carrying that to the church at Rome. And the custom in that day was whoever was carrying the letter would be called on to explain anything in the letter that the people had questions about. And by the way, if you've ever read the book of Romans, imagine you're the one <laughs> that's got to explain the questions that people are like, well, what did Paul mean by that, Right? But this just underlines, it highlights her her authority, her competence, and the fact that it was a woman who had that role to explain the letter, teaching it to the church at Rome, is not lost on first century readers. Even though we might kind of blow past it, it meant something significant to them. Uh, Another one, another name, Junia, another extraordinary woman, just same chapter, Romans 16, verse 7 By the way, when I I remember when I first learned about this verse, it was a huge surprise to me. Here's the verse. Uh, Greet greet Andronicus and Junia, my relatives who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles. Now, Junia here is actually a female name, a woman, and she's recognized as an apostle. There was a woman with the title of apostle, which is the highest leadership title, gift, role that, that there was, very revered. In fact, interestingly enough, this bothered some of the early 
historical translators so much that, that a few of the translators changed the spelling from Junia to Junius, which they were trying to give it a masculine ending to make it a man's name, but there was nev never a name Junius uh, in that culture. It was not even a name, and in all the best ancient manuscripts, it's agreed that this is a woman's name. Junia was an apostle. Now, if we just go with that, those examples in the early church and Jesus including women, if you just take that pile of evidence of, of, of countercultural direction, you look at that, it's enough to go, wow, we got to conclude that men and women share equally in ministry leadership. They're operating in the gifts of the Spirit, both of them teaching and leading and both advancing the gospel. It's very different than the cultural norms, but it's a new day for women and men doing ministry together. And we start then, you know, the Bible goes from, from these narratives in the Gospels, the book of Acts, a little bit of narrative amongst the, the book of Romans, um, and it goes more to a collection of, of letters, and here's what I want us to make sure we remember. These letters in the New Testament, these letters were written to specific churches dealing with specific issues in specific cultures, and they give instruction to men and women in these letters about how it is that we follow Jesus together. And one of my favorite passages in these letters is in Galatians 3, verse 8. It's a revolutionary passage. And, and I read uh, this week that maybe, maybe Paul, the Apostle Paul, was the first ancient writer to declare something this radical in that day and age, which, by the way, people, I pastor friend of mine, a female, a couple months ago, was like, oh, Paul hated women. I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> like, need a little more study here, a little more study on this, because check this out. Here's what Paul wrote in Galatians 3.28. There is now neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And that's, that prose right there actually was more of a, almost a poetic sort of function, but this would have blown people away. It would have blown people away. And by the way, it doesn't mean that there are no differences between the genders. What it does mean is that it's a new day for women and men. And in Christ, the, bar the barriers between who's allowed to do stuff and who are not allowed to, so those barriers are broken down like, whoa, wow. It's amazing. But, and this is a big but. <clears throat> you're supposed to laugh at that. That's the only joke you're getting right now. But, here's the big but. The big but is, in a few churches, if you read all the letters, there's instruction that's given that seems to us to go against what the scriptures have been saying in this story so far. And for us as readers that who were not living in that particular context, it can seem confusing for us, but not for them. Um, I mean, they were in the church. They knew exactly why it was that Paul wrote the things he wrote. It was like, we're hearing one side of a telephone conversation reading these letters, but they had both sides of the conversation um, because Paul was writing things that were addressing issues in their own church that they were all familiar with. And so, you know, you didn't have to explain all the details when he wrote back. That's why we just have that side of the conversation. And First Timothy chapter 2 is one of those passages that, that, that some people try to use to then 
Here's one passage to cancel this mountain of other teaching and evidence in scripture that supports women participating in all levels of ministry. And before I read it, remember this. If the Bible seems to contradict itself, there must be more to the story. So let's read 1 Timothy. By the way, it's written to Timothy, who's the pastor of a church in Ephesus by the Apostle Paul. Paul writes to him, verse 9, I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles, some of you are in trouble, um, or gold or pearls, anybody got a ring or jewelry, oh, okay, we got trouble here, uh, or expensive clothes, if your outfit costs more than 20 bucks, uh, that's a lot of money in our world, and um, yeah, so you're in trouble there, right? Uh, don't adorn yourself that way, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Verse 11 says, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Relax, it's, we'll get there, okay. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. And then, here's the reasoning. Uh, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. For Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived. I think Adam ate too, but okay. Um, um, and, and became the sinner. And in other places, Paul actually pins it on the man, interesting. Um, Verse 15, but women, and here's the kicker right here. Women will be saved through childbearing. They continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Holy smokes, that's like a bomb in the room on that, right? Whoa, 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 whoa. And again, because we weren't in that culture knowing that other side of the phone conversation, right offhand, it seems like we've got a problem. Like, whoa, whoa, wait, this story of the New Testament has been very pro-male and female, both doing ministry together. It's been very freeing to women. It's countercultural. But then in a few of these letters that Paul writes to specific Greek, by the way, churches, we spot a few different passages that seem like they contradict the story that we've seen up to this point, so why is that? And then how do we interpret those verses in light of all these other things that we have seen taught and modeled in the early church? Well, when we interpret scripture, again, we have to remember the Bible is not prone to contradicting itself, and if the Bible seems to contradict itself, there must be more to the story. Here's another reason to think that that there's more to the story. Think about this. At least 13 different women are praised by the Apostle Paul as partners in ministry by name. So do you think Paul would contradict himself? I don't think so. Um, So there must be something else going on. And this is the problem we have when, when people take the Bible out of context and people just go to a verse like this to make their point and they don't actually know the context of the story or of the author or the location that this letter or book is written to like this here. And so then in these passages, like in 2 Timothy 1, that some people use in order to interpret and keep women out of ministry roles, we need to interpret. We need to look at the context. So um, let's spend just a couple minutes here. Let's do a little uh, Bible interpretation 101 class. You guys ready for that? Let's see a few of you. Yeah, anybody else? Bible 101 interpretation. All right. When an instruction is given in scripture, as we're reading, we have to decide, is that particular instruction a timeless command or is it historically limited, right? We have to distinguish between the two, like a timeless command is all times, all places, 
forevermore timeless, right? But a historically limited instruction would be specifically directed at that particular time to the people group originally reading the letter. We have to know which one is it, right? Now, just to see if we've got those categories straight, I'm going to give you a test. I'm going to run through a few different commands, random commands throughout Scripture, and I'm going to ask you to say out loud, like audience participation here, um, is what's on the screen a timeless command, or is it historically limited? So here we go. Uh, try the, I'll give you an easy, easy one to start here. Love your neighbor as yourself. Is that a timeless command or historically limited? Nice, you guys are smart, smarter than first surface. Okay, Leviticus 19.19 19 says, do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Which one do we have here? Historically limited. How about 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1, where it says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Is that a timeless command or historically specific? Uh, depending on if you're a guy or a gal, we have a different answer, right? Are you really that unsure? Like, I'm amazed we have any kids in our church with the weak answer I've gotten in both services here. This would be historically specific, dealing with a specific situation in that setting of what was going on. All right. Um, try this one. Here we go. Uh, I hope this is easier. Second, first service, maybe not. So uh, we'll see about you guys. First Timothy 5.23, Paul says, hey, Timothy, take a little wine for your... Stomach. Is that a timeless command or historically specific? Jeez. <laughs> oh, I don't know if we're stubborn or just dumb on this, right? <laughs> oh, man. Okay, we're going to go with historically limited advice. That's the answer we're looking for. Wine for your stomach? I don't know if that's like today's medical advice, but who knows? Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Okay. How about, uh, we'll, we'll give you an easy one to close. How about Micah 6 8? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Which one? There we go. So we have timeless commands, and we have historically limited instructions. And here's the deal. Honestly, it's not always easy to tell which one is which. Like, really smart folks work and study and pray hard to distinguish that. And So I don't want to make it sound like it's always easy, because it's not. Which, which is why very sincere Christians sometimes disagree over issues like this one regarding women, but I just want to point out that we have to think about these two categories and appropriately apply these categories in our interpretation of context. Like in 1 Timothy 2, verse 9, we can't just blindly pick and choose and go, well, that verse about hairstyles and nice clothing, that's historically limited. It doesn't apply today. But you know, the next verse about women not teaching men, well, that does apply as a timeless command. Like we can't, like, you can't, Right? It just doesn't make sense to just pluck one and go, well, yes to that and no to that. And why would we? Um, these are interesting ways that people do that. And when people do that, they can use the Bible to support all kinds of interesting positions. But especially when it comes to this one, the Bible, uh, if it seems to contradict itself, you got to know that there is more. There must be more to the story. And in this case... There is, there is more to the story. In fact, the Apostle Paul, think about it again, he would not contradict his own teaching. If you look through the rest of his teachings, he's affirming and encouraging women all over the place. And so where it seems like here there's something else going on, 
I think it's very safe to draw the confident conclusion that this was a cultural limitation. He was addressing a specific issue at a specific time in a specific place at a specific church where there was a problem. Now, in the bonus video, my plan is to go through each one of these verses and especially that last one, which is like one of the weirdest verses in scripture, women are gonna save through child, what? Yeah, I love that. I wish we could teach on that here, but there's such a great explanation that opens it up when we understand the culture. It sheds so much light on that passage. So check out the bonus video. Now, I wanna rewind us here to a passage that we read just a little bit ago. Think again, the culture of the day for women. And let's look again at Galatians 3, 28. This statement that Paul made that was so radical back then. Let's read it out loud together. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is a radical statement. And, and actually is supposed to kind of read a little bit like prose. And in fact, there are scholars who I believe they're right about this. They, they think it's no accident that Galatians 3.28 is worded the way that it is here. I mean, you take that and you set it against that dramatic backdrop of the prayer that we read earlier that, that Jewish males would often pray. The prayer that was, and don't read this out loud, blessed art thou, O God, who did not make me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Now, before meeting Jesus, Paul himself was probably brought up to say that prayer. But in Christ, God created a new thing, a family called the church where all could participate freely. And so this old prayer was, was gone. It was done away. It was not valid anymore. It was corrected, right? Instead, it says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. And listen, there were huge conflicts in the early church about this line here, a distinction between Jews and Gentiles. Many Christians still thought it was superior to be Jewish, but Paul says, no, 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 no. No, those ethnic divisions are torn down. When people came to Christ, yeah, they were still Jewish or Gentile, but those distinctions were irrelevant in their participation in the life of the church, in the family of God and in ministry. That's not what mattered anymore. So, so, so neither Jew nor Greek. And then Paul says this next line, there's neither slave nor free. Slave nor free. See how he's countering here? And this was a huge debate in the church for 1,800 plus years. Like people used to point to the Bible as proof to say, well, it says right here, slaves obey your masters, so slavery must be fine. But even back here, right, Paul is saying, in Christ, those old distinctions are gone when it comes to belonging and participating in the church and in the family of God. And then the staggering third pair here, he says, there is neither male nor female. He's saying, when someone's in Christ, being male or female is no longer the most important thing about them. Of course they still remain male and female, but the difference, that difference is, is irrelevant to their full participation in the life of the church and the family of God. That old prayer, it's not valid anymore. And God's plan for his people is to know oneness and to be a family that looks the other way, not Jew or Gentile, known as slave or free, or male or female, that we are a family together. 
And you know, I look at this prayer and I think, friends, it took 1,800 years to get to the point where the church agreed like, oh, yeah, there, there is no slave. It took us 1,800 plus years to get that right and bring freedom to slaves. Let's not take another 1,800 years to get it right on the freedom for the full participation of women. Oh, amen? Now, I want to take us back to Jesus here. And again, this was just something that, that Tara mentioned that was just so good. And I said, I just, um, some people think, okay, well, fine, fine, fine. That's all there. But, you know, I'm still not convinced. Um, so just to be on the safe side, I think we better not let women do ministry leadership roles. But, but listen to Jesus' call to us as the followers, his followers, Matthew 9. He says, the harvest is ready, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers into his harvest field. Like Jesus is saying, pray, send, God, send more, more workers. Like, do we really think that the safe side of this, playing it safe, would be to prohibit women from preaching the gospel? Like to, to say, no, 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 no. For women, it's a sin to preach the gospel. Like seriously? Like I'd be really uncomfortable going against the evidence of all the Bible and scripture if I was the person telling women that because of their gender, um, doesn't matter if you're gifted or called to preach or lead or pastor. No, no, no. You're a woman, you're disqualified. I'd be very uncomfortable going that direction. And if that was my view, I would be really nervous um, to stand before God one day trying to justify why it was that I ignored so much of scripture and told women that they couldn't be involved in preaching the gospel. I tell you what, there's no way that I'm gonna stand before God and have to try to explain that one. See, that doesn't sound to me like the Bible-honoring side of the debate. And I know many people who earnestly believe that the Bible teaches women are restricted, but I think this is so important. In fact, I think it's important to not be neutral because one of the reasons the church is struggling to reach our culture today, I think it's because, I think it's because we have not let half of the team play. Harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Yet when half of the body of Christ is shut down because of the interpretation of a few passages which I believe were never intended by the Apostle Paul to be used to restrict all women at all times that are gifted and called by God, when we shut all that down, it's really hard to imagine the mobilization of all the workers that were supposed to be praying to God to send for the harvest. I mean, listen, guys, we need, we need the whole team. We need all the workers fully engaged as God has gifted each one in the body of Christ, male and female. As the worship team uh, comes, I, I wanna say just one last thing here. Um, you know, many Christians, as you know, disagree on this issue. A lot of Christians have a different stance than ours, and I do want to try to honor them. I understand they're trying to interpret the Bible, and many of them just kind of inherited their view. And if you're a guy, it's a pretty convenient view, you know, but, <laughs> but I do love this. I love that our denomination clearly states that because of what the Bible teaches, that's why we fully support empowering women at all levels of leadership and ministry. 
And we do have a long way to go, but this past month, we named the Reverend Tammy Swanson Draheim as our first female president of the Evangelical Covenant Church, which means she is the pastor of the pastors in our denomination. So I love that about our tribe. Um, But even uh, more than that, I gotta say, I'm really glad that I'm at this church. Like I'm at... This church, I look at our church and I try to think of where we would be if it wasn't for a community of men and women working and serving together. I just even, in terms of leadership roles that people wonder about, I think about Stacy Heimkes, who, who has led our elder board in the past, which is, people get worried, a woman, yeah. Um, But she served the people of hope so many ways for so many years. And we would not be who we are today without her operating in that arena. And I'm so glad personally that I got to benefit from the gift of leadership that she brought before she stepped down um, off of the elder team last year. We also have Lily King as one of our elders. She's an excellent elder. She's an excellent leader here at Hope. She has wisdom beyond her years. She is faithful and she demonstrates servant leadership to each and every one of us here at Hope. I'm so grateful for her and for Joy Boydston, who's also on our elder team. She faithfully loves and serves and leads and teaches and worships. I'm so grateful. And those are just our more recent elders um, at the church that are female. And, and, and I tell you what, with all three of these women, Joy, Lily, previously Stacy, I know that there have been times where this Hope family has been protected, that disasters have been avoided, division prevented, the evil one thwarted as a direct result of their results, as, as, as their leadership, as elders, on that team with the men uh, as well. And I'm so grateful for them. So grateful that we didn't just shut women out of that. Yeah, I think of um, our children's ministry. I think of Brittany giving excellent care to both men and women, serving our kids who wanna learn how to follow Jesus. I'm so grateful that we have her as a leader and she really in many ways functions as a pastor in this church and I'm so grateful. I think about this little pulpit space and, and the times that God here at Hope has used the preaching gifts and insight of women at Hope who have gotten up, uh, people like Pastor Yvonne Devon or, or Aaron Amos Mackey or my wife Heidi uh, or Pastor Jamie Levi or Pastor Rena Grazier. Uh, and as they spoke here, I remember being oftentimes convicted of something that I needed to change or challenged to grow or God used them to assure me of his goodness. And friends, those are just a few that I have close contact with who are operating in roles that in some places would be forbidden because of how some verses are interpreted. And I know there's dozens of others, so many of you in this room who are women and you serve with the gift that God has given you. And we here at Hope would not be who we are if you didn't do it. So thank you. Thank you. And I know there's a lot of great churches around, but I'm just so grateful that I get to be a part of this one because my life would be immensely poorer if I were not a part of a community 
that was trying to live as a church family where, where in Christ, there's no longer Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. As we sing this song, um, I just want us to think about the words and, 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 and just ask God to continue to move us into our future as a church family and continue to make the love and freedom of Jesus our foundation here at Hope and in our lives as he builds what he is building in you, in me, and in us.